couple of weeks, we've been, we started a study on Galatians. Something I've never actually done before is teach from a, from a book and just go straight through. I, I don't know if we'll make it all the way to the end. I don't know how that's uh, going to go. But the more that I study in, uh, this book of Galatians, the, there's so much that I, you know, you think you know. But the more you learn, the more you realize there's, there's a lot of stuff that I just don't know. That uh, as, uh, as I continue to, um, to learn and continue to grow, I just realized that this thing is a lifelong process. You, you, you never fully arrive. You're, you're always in a spot of learning. If you find that you haven't learned something in a while, that, that says something. It doesn't say that you've figured it all out. It says that somewhere along the line you've stopped being open to what God would want to say in your life. And I want to encourage you this morning just to kind of be open to what, uh, what he may say to you through this. Uh, this week I've spent some time just reading through the whole book of Galatians in one, in one uh, sitting, multiple times, different versions, and just to see what's, uh, what Paul was trying to say to this Galatian church and what parts of it apply to us as, uh, as Kingsway. And um, I realized that's, like we said last week, that's kind of how they did it back then. You, they would just read the, the whole thing at a, at a church service. Somebody would read it to them and say, hey, this is what Paul said. Uh, many, of the, uh, many of them couldn't read, so they would just have to kind of trust that that was what was uh, being, being spoken. Today, you guys have the, you know, most of you ha- probably have the ability to read. So I would encourage you to, to do that. Uh, like I said last week, my job really is to try and find truth from the Scriptures, truth from God's Word, and try and put it in a, in a way that's, that you're going to be able to understand it. But your job is to make sure that I'm not pulling the wool over your eyes or telling you something that just isn't, isn't true. Your job is to say, you know what, I'm going to check the Word for myself. Uh, it's, it's amazing the amount of lives that were given so that you could have this, uh, this book in your hands or, or on an iPod or on an iPad or on the wall. Uh, there's, there's so much that's happened, but you can't take the wall with you. So I would really encourage you to, uh, to get a Bible if you don't have one uh, or to get a, get a Bible app or to just spend some time there. Uh, I can't take a, a lot of time just to recap where we started in Galatians chapter 1. Uh, we went through that over the last couple of weeks. You can find that online if you'd like. But I'll give you a couple of the quick points. One of the main things we were talking about is that Paul was saying to this Galatian church that there is only one good news gospel. There's only one gospel, one message that can actually change your life. Only one message that can save you. Meaning that if, you, if you're believing one of these other messages, the saving v- uh, value of that is not there. Uh, so you could sit in church, and these Galatians, had, they had known what this uh, saving message was. And, and we talked about like being like a road, that it's uh, that the, the road of, of 100% trusting in Jesus for salvation, that there's nothing you can add to that, nothing you can take away from that, is what the good news message is, that Jesus really existed. And it's not just a story that we celebrate at Christmas and Easter. He really did live. He really did die for our sins, not for his and he really rose again. Those things are, are, if any of those change, then the gospel is not true. Then what, you, uh, what, we, what you're learning or what you believe in, it does not have the power to save. And the Galatians, they had been taught this. Paul had shown them, this is the road, walk in this road. And then these guys from Jerusalem show up and say, uh, yeah, actually Paul has part of it right, but there's a few other things you need to do. You need to, you need to keep the laws. You know, Jesus, yes, but you've got to keep the laws as well. You need to be circumcised. You need to, you know, you need to uh, have these dietary laws. And so Paul writes them a book saying, listen, I heard that you're, you're getting off onto this other um, road, and it's not even a road. He says it's not, they might make it sound like this is another way to heaven, but there is only one way. And, he, and he's trying to make sure that they understand. And he says, I didn't learn this stuff. He's, and we talked about that last week. He made a big deal about the fact that he didn't go to school to learn it, that he was teaching the people of Galatia 
what the apostles and the people who had been with Jesus, what they knew because they had been with Jesus, he knew it because Jesus showed it to them, and they had never spoken before, and they were saying the same things. So he says, I want you to just be able to trust that what I'm telling you is true. And then we also talked about the fact that there was two ditches along the side of the road. Along, uh, you know, we were talking about that, that guy earlier who uh, he found out that the ditch is, is close to the road. He, he finds that out pretty regularly. But for, for most of us, we realize that the ditch is not too far away from the road. And that's one thing I just want to say this morning to just open your eyes and realize that, that at any time, any of us can be in one of these two ditches that sound like good news, but they just really aren't. They don't have the power to change your life on the inside. It become frustrating as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, as going to church, and yet there, it feels like something's missing. I, I believe that it's so important that we get down to the foundation of what our faith is and make sure that that is, is straight. Otherwise, the whole rest of, the, of whatever you build gets messed up. So one of the ditches they said was that you had to have works. You had to have, you had to have this um, believing in Jesus, but you also had to do these other things. You know, follow the Ten Commandments. You had to uh, observe dietary laws. You know, no pork burgers for you guys anymore. Definitely no red lobster. You know, like none of that stuff. And you had to be circumcised. And if you don't know what that is, ask someone else. So um, the, he's saying these are the things that, you know, as full-grown men, they're like, Really? I'm not really excited about following Jesus so much anymore. And, and, and Paul's saying, hey, that's not part of it. This, this whole thing about works is not part of it. And then the other side was saying the thought of, of the ditch of being, hey, we can just do whatever we want. He says, you know, he said, don't, we don't need works. We just need Jesus. Well, that means we can have Jesus and just sin as much as we want to. And, that, and you know, Jesus paid for it all, and it's all covered. That says that there's something missing in the heart of the person that realizes that what, what it cost him what Jesus did on the cross was for our sin. And, and seeing that and realizing, man, it was my sin that held him there. My sin is the reason that he went there. It does something in your heart to change the, the way that you want to live. And what happens is the fruit uh, of following Christ, the fruit of relationship with Jesus, turns out to be these good works that we've talked about. But it has to be in that order. So we're just going to look at Galatians chapter 2 this morning, or a, a part of it, uh, I always, like, Saturday nights, I, I, I'll sh share some of the same, same thoughts, and then afterwards I'm thinking, man, maybe I should change it up a bit for Sunday, you know, and, and, and make it uh, a little bit different. So we're, uh, we're just going to go through this morning. I just want to share some of the thoughts, because this, bo this book was written to the Galatian church. It wasn't written to Kingsway, otherwise it would say Kingsway on the top, but it, it doesn't. It says Galatians. It was written with that purpose and intent in mind. But there are things that we can learn from it. So, uh, what, but, there, but I guess the thing that we have to be careful of is when you, read a, when you read something like this and you look for it as if it was written just to you, you can read things that were maybe not, not said, not mentioned. And uh, one of the things that I, I want to just encourage us to, to look at is what is God saying to us through this message that Paul uh, is giving to this Galatian church and, and realizing that there's, there's things that we can, we can pick up along the way. Uh, we're on chapter 2, but... But there was no chapters in the original letter. It's just one big letter. It just keeps going. So Paul had just been talking to them about, hey, I didn't go and hang out with the guys in Jerusalem. I didn't learn the gospel there. That's not where I figured it out. Uh, and then he starts with this. He says, but 14 years later, because he had said that he had spent a few days with um, Peter, but he says, 14 years later, I went back to Jerusalem again, this time with Barnabas, and Titus came along too. I went there because God revealed to me that I should go. So while I was there, I met privately with those considered to be leaders of the church and shared with them the message that I had been preaching to the Gentiles. I want to make sure that we were in agreement for fear that all my efforts had been wasted and I was running 
the race for nothing. So Paul, he's going on his timeline. He says, hey, we went back to Jerusalem, and it wasn't like he got summoned to Jerusalem. It wasn't like the church in Jerusalem is where Jesus started everything. It wasn't like those guys said, oh, there's this Paul guy. He's out there. He's preaching this stuff. And we, you know what? We don't like what he's preaching. Let's call him in. It's like getting called to the principal's office. <laughs> Paul, report to the principal's office. Take your homework. We're going to grade it. You know, he's like, okay, okay. You know, he comes. He doesn't. It says God spoke to Paul and said, go to Jerusalem. And he says, it's been 14 years. He's been preaching for 17 years. And you think, you know, if you've been, if you've been saying something for 17 years, you kind of hope that what you're saying is true. You know, that's, uh, that's, that's where Paul's like, hey, I'm going to go there and make sure that I didn't just waste 17 years of my life. Anybody done that? No? Oh, yes? Oh, we'll, we'll have prayer after. Um, but he says, I want to make sure that I didn't waste 17 years of my life. And he wants to make sure it's accurate. And it's really important that you understand this. He's going to them. They're not calling him. So when he goes to them, he... Um, he, he's writing this to the Galatians saying, hey, I want you guys to, to know what they're really saying in Jerusalem. Because these guys from Jerusalem had come and said, hey, this is what it looks like. So I want you to know what, it, what they're really saying. And uh, he says he met privately with these guys. He said, I, you know, I just went and shared with them the gospel. And, and then it says this in uh, verse, what are we at, three? It says, and they supported me. When I shared the message that I had told them, it says, they supported me, and they did not even demand that my companion Titus be circumcised, though he was a Gentile, which was good for Titus. So even that question came up only because of some so-called Christians, they're false ones, really, who were secretly brought in. They sneaked in to spy on us and take away the freedom that we have in Christ. Paul's big deal is that, that we have freedom in Christ. He says, they wanted to enslave us and force us to follow Jewish regulations and laws, but we refused to give in to them for a single moment because we want to preserve the truth of the gospel message for you. So he's talking with the leaders of the church here. That's, uh, that's, he's not going just asking anybody. He's saying, hey, you guys are the heads of, uh, of the church. This is what Jesus said to you. Is this, if, and what I'm saying to all these other people, is this right? That was the greatest opportunity ever if they said, well, yeah, that's pretty good, but you should have circumcision too. That would have been the time to, to do it. When somebody comes up and asks you for, for something, that's when, you, that's when you can let them know, hey, you know, this is what you should have changed. They didn't tell them to change anything. So he's making sure that, that in writing to the Galatians, he's saying, hey, what, what this gospel message was, it didn't change. It's not like Jesus or these um, other apostles said anything was going to be different. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 6, he says, they had nothing the leaders of the church had nothing to add what I was preaching. And he says, by the way, their reputation as great leaders made no difference to me, for God has no favorites. It's like, Paul, things are going pretty good here, and now you throw that in there. You know, yeah, well, they seem to be leaders, but, you know, it doesn't mean, it doesn't make any difference to me. You know, it's, uh, he says, whatever they were, that's, he says, God's got no favorites. I was kind of disappointed, because someone gave me a plaque for Christmas, I don't know, it was a couple of years ago, that says, uh, Jesus loves you, but I'm his favorite. And I thought, you know, that's pretty sweet. And I, th I, I thought, you know, I believe that, that you know, I'm God's favorite. And, and yet, you know, here it says, God has no favorites, which is, which is good news for you, because uh, that means he likes you just as much as he likes me. You're his favorite, too. But you know what's really amazing is he likes Keisha as much as he likes Paul, Apostle Paul. You think God liked Apostle Paul? I mean, the guy's like super Christian, but he has no favorites. He, he likes Keisha the same much. He likes Deb the same much. He thinks those kind of thoughts about you. You know, that, anybody who's got a self-esteem problem as a Christian just has to realize that you're God's favorite, that there's this, that, that God is crazy about you, that he has this thought. But, but Paul says the same, the same thing. He says, yeah, you know what? We're all God's favorite. So let that be a lesson to you as far as who you follow. 
don't, don't celebrate men. Don't make a big deal of, oh, this is the pastor, or this is the leader of the church, or, or feel like, you know, this is the person who has all the revelation. This is my favorite preacher He's, or, or, or prophet or whoever it is. He says, don't, don't get all caught up on, on the person. He says, if anything good came out of their life, it came from God. So if you hear something and it triggers in your heart, I, I want to encourage you, give glory to God for that, not to the person. Give glory even to God for that person. But d- realize that you follow a person, you're going to get messed up. Uh, as a pastor, I shouldn't be saying this to you, right? If I want to control the group and whatever, I say, hey, do as I do, follow me. I am your mediator between God and man. And Paul's saying, hey, I don't leave any room for that. I, th- that's what the Jewish leaders wanted to do. They wanted to say, hey, you got to keep rules and, you know, uh, uh, talk to us. But he says, that's not what we want to do. Then Paul says, uh, over the next couple uh, verses in, in verse 7, instead they saw that God had given me the responsibility of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as he had given Peter the responsibility of preaching to the Jews. For the same God who worked through Peter as the apostle to the Jews also worked through me as the apostle to the Gentiles. So he's saying, hey, yeah, we're, we're getting in good. These guys, it's, it's, um, we're okay. We're on the same page. He says, in fact, James, Peter, and John, who were known as pillars of the church, recognized the gift that God had put in me. And he says, and they encouraged or they accepted Barnabas and me as their co-workers. It says, they encouraged us to keep preaching to the Gentiles while they continued working with the Jews. Their only suggestion of anything was that, they would, uh, that we would keep on helping the poor, which I've always been eager to do. So they didn't have anything to add to him. And he says, you know what? This is good. We're, we, we agree on stuff. We're buddies. Here's the good news. I'm going on to share this. The Galatian church, listen up. Kingsway, listen up. This is for you. It's all good. And then the next verse happens, which is just like, craziness. He says, Galatians chapter 2, here they're all friends, and then Galatians chapter 2, verse 11. Paul had gone to them, right? Gone to visit them. Everything's good. Then Peter decides to come visit Paul, and it says this, when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face, for what he did was very wrong. And and you see, he, he doesn't mince any words at all. It says, when he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile Christians. So those are people who are not Jewish, but it says, and who were not circumcised. But afterward, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of the criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. And as a result, other Jewish Christians followed Peter's hypocrisy. And even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. And when I saw they were not following the truth of the gospel message, I said to Peter in front of all the others. So what happened here? He says, he says, just quick little history on this. He's saying, Peter, he was eating with these people, and then when, when the, these other guys came, he stopped eating with these people, and that's, that's a bit, he was afraid he was going to get in trouble for eating with them. You're like, what's the deal? You know, we don't usually have that. Nobody sends in emails or phone calls to the church and complains about me eating with anybody. They're not like, yeah, I saw Mark and Tim Hortons with a Baptist, you know? <laughs> like, uh, we're leaving the church, you know? Or, or with, a, with a heathen. You don't understand, man. That person that he's with, that's a, the drug dealer from town, you know? Like, and they were eating in Tim Hortons. That's it. We're done. That, that doesn't happen. And so you think, here, Paul's making this big deal about, because back then, that's the way it was. Eating together for us is more like, you know, where's, where's the cheapest and the fastest food you can get and just get it down your gizzard as fast as you can and hope it doesn't kill you, right? Like that's, that's kind of what, that's why places like Fast Eddie's survive is because we, we go to three kids, a buck for fries, I'm in. You know, drive in, two drive throughs you can get through super fast. You, you're not there to meet anybody. You don't talk to the lady at the window. She's so grumpy anyways. But you say, you know, it's, you, that's not what we're doing. She's not, never mind. So it's, it's not why you, we do these meal things. It's like, just get, get something in those kids because the faster they eat, the happier they're going to be, and we're good and done. 
One of the things that they say that's missing in, in North America and is on the, on the decline is that family time around the table. Just where people spend time around the table. But that was big back then. These people, when they ate together, they ate together and it was like a production. It was like Thanksgiving dinner. They had this thing of we're catching up. Maybe we haven't seen each other for a day. Maybe it's been a week. Maybe it's been a month. But whatever it is, we're going to spend some time together. We're going to eat. We're going to talk. We're going to share our lives. We're going to catch up. Hey, how are your kids doing? And this whole thing of community, unity, fellowship, it was a big, big deal. So when Peter's hanging out with these people who, who weren't, you know, uh, Jewish and, and spending time with them, that's what he was doing. He was building relationship, friendship with them, building this community. And then all of a sudden, these other guys show up and he doesn't. Now he's on the other side. He's like looking over there. And what does it say to the people? It just says the same thing of, you know, when I'm around these guys, I'm better than you. It's like those little mad girl or whatever the mean girl clicks, you know, mad girl. <laughs> yeah, th- them too. Mean, but those clicks, you know, they, they existed way back in the day as well where people are looking at, at, at Peter and, and, and thinking, man, he thinks he's better than us. Well, he actually did think he was better than us. That's how the Jewish thought was that if, if I am a follower of Jesus and I keep all the laws, that makes me better than these other people. And, and that can happen in any church. You know, it's the, it can happen in where it's like, I got it all together when I come to church and I'm wearing my suit and everybody looks at me and like all my kids are smiling. It's like they know, you know, that they, they can see that, you know, we've got it together. What they don't know is that in the van on the way here, you're like back there pinching them, making sure you guys smile when we get in there. I don't want nobody calling us thinking you guys have it rough. You know, I had it rough when I was a kid. You know, I only had half an apple to school. I had to walk to church and you get to ride in this van. You're like, okay, dad, no problem. That didn't happen to me. Just, uh, just a hypothetical story. So, but, but there's this, this air of I've got it all together and, and nobody else does. And, and Paul says, you know what? I told this guy right to his face, he says, I, I, I withstood him to his face, and I said it in front of everybody. Why, did he, why was he so bold with Peter? Peter should have known better. Of anybody, Peter should have known. Peter's the guy that, that Jesus sent a vision to him of, of a sheet, a bed sheet coming down out of the sky full of pigs and lobsters and shellfish and all the things Peter's not allowed to eat. And then God tells him, hey, Peter, go and eat that. He's like, I'm not eating that. You know I'm not allowed. You told me I'm not allowed to eat that stuff. And he says, listen, Peter, I, it's no longer unclean. What, what I call clean, don't you call unclean. And Peter's like, oh, I don't get it. Okay, we'll do this again. Sends down the sheet and says, Peter, kill any. I don't know. And he does it three times. And then afterwards, he's like, Peter wakes up and he's like, I still don't get it. I don't get it. God, why do you want me to start eating these animals? I don't get it. And then all of a sudden, he gets like a buzzer from downstairs. You know, Peter, uh, there's some people here to see you. He's like, oh, I'm supposed to go with them. And he realizes he goes to the Gentiles and he's the first guy to share the message of Christ with people who were not Jewish. So he should have known. So then Paul says this. He says, I, I confronted him to his face in verse 14. I said to Peter in front of all the others, since you, a Jew by birth, have discarded the Jewish laws and are living like a Gentile, why are you now trying to make the Gentiles follow Jewish traditions? Well, the Gentiles are there listening in. The Jewish leaders are there listening in. Peter's there. Paul's there. And it's a really uncomfortable situation. Have you ever been in one? Uh, my wife and I, we used to do, do uh, wedding photography. And we went to this wedding uh, the one day that uh, I knew the people getting married. 
So I knew a lot of their friends as well. And uh, as we're, we, the whole wedding went great. And then it comes time for the reception. At the reception, when you're the photographer, you always end up at the table with all like the crazy aunts and uncles, right? Anybody say, you know, you're not family, so you sit with everybody who doesn't feel like family but had to be invited, right? That's the table you get to sit at. But I look at, I look at the thing, I'm like, oh, good, no crazy Uncle Louie. We're like, good. And I read down, I see this name of this girl. I can't say her name because she's from around here. But um, uh, when I read the name, I was like, hey, I went to school with her. Yeah, actually in grade Grade three or four, this girl like had a major crush on me. I'm telling Beth, right? And she's like, oh, really? And, and I was like, yeah. And, you know, they used to bug me and pick on me. And I didn't like this girl at all. And I was like, no, I don't like her. And they'd, they'd all be like, ooh, shame, shame, double shame. Remember that stuff, right? You know, it's like this, wait, wait. And I was like, you know, it's just grade four, you know, a little thing. But, yes, I wonder, you know, like it's, uh, I haven't seen this girl since then. So, so then I tell this to Beth, and I'm like, I tell this to her in confidence, of course, right? But we happen to sit at the table, and she's at our table. And so Beth's like, oh, so what's your name? Oh, so-and-so. And I was like, oh, yeah. And she's like, yeah, I actually, she said, I went to school with, you, with your husband. And she's like, oh, you did, did you? Uh, you know, I, I heard that, uh, you know, you had a major crush on my husband. I'm like, you got to be kidding me, right? I'm like, I, I, this is grade four. I'm like, yeah, I like, give her the look, and she's like, she smiles, right? I'm like, I give her the eye roll, you know? I'm like, this is like just, you're not going there. Like, seriously, you're not, not in front of everybody. There's other people at this table. And she's like, yeah, well, uh, he said you had a major crush on him. And she's like, what? No, I had a major crush on his brother, right? And I'm like, See, my brother's bald. She thinks he's older than me, and it's like and he was there too, but he's younger. It was me. I know it, right? I'm like, I, this was like scarring in my life. And so, but, but Beth's like, all of a sudden she, she carries on. She's like, no, no, no. He's pretty sure it was you. And now I'm red. Now I'm like, whatever. I'm kicking her under the table. I'm pinching her leg. And, she's, and he's like, yeah, actually, he's pinching me right now because he doesn't want me. I'm like, oh, come on. This is like ridiculous. Did, did you really have to go that far? And I'm thinking, you know what? I kind of know how Peter felt. He's sitting there going, Paul, come on, seriously. Did you have to go this far? He starts, he starts telling what Peter was thinking, which in verse 15 he says, you and I are, are uh, Jews by birth. We're not sinners like the Gentiles. He probably did one of those, you know? Like, we're not like sinners like the Gentiles. He's like, man, they're right there, you know, kicking them under the, under the table. He says, but he said this, Peter, we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we obeyed the law. For no one will ever be made right by trying to keep the law. He's trying to tell him, Peter, nobody's ever going to be made right by trying to keep the rules. So when you were living in freedom and just trusting in Jesus and living that life, he says, why are you now going to try and go back and do, and do the rules again? So then uh, he says to him, but suppose we seek to be made right with God through faith in Christ. So Paul says, hey, Peter, Eve, let's just go down your path for one second here. Let's just go and say, suppose that, that you, you, know, you do need to have both, that you have to have believing in Jesus and having this following of, uh, of the law. He says, uh, suppose we seek to be made right with God through faith in Christ, and then we're found guilty because we abandon the law. He says, would that mean that Christ has led us to sin? Absolutely not. He's saying, Peter, picture this. Here you are, you're holding on to the law. And what was the law? The Ten Commandments was like this measuring stick. This thing of saying, did you, did you covet? Did you steal? Did you uh, uh, covet, steal, commit adultery, mur murder, uh, 
bear false witness, right? Like all these, that's lying. Did you do any of this stuff, right? Um, did you tell a falsehood? So there's this whole list of things. Well, this is where they would go and they'd measure themselves against it and realize that they, they had failed. And, and he's saying, do you think Jesus would say, Peter, let go of all that and trust in me that what I did is enough. And, and then you're like, okay, but you know, I'm kind of holding on and this, is, this doesn't really work, but I just got to grab this rope of salvation. I just got to grab onto this. And, and so he grabs onto the rope, and all of a sudden Jesus is like, whoops, let's go. Oh, sorry, Pete. You know, slams on the ground. I guess it didn't work. You know, you should have held on to both. He's like, would, would Christ have done that to say, hey, you know, just, just believe in Jesus. But, and then Jesus says, yeah, Peter, you're a sinner because you let go of all that stuff. He said, it absolutely makes no sense. He said, well, how does that affect my life today? How does, how does any of this stuff from that far back matter today, let me ask you the same question. Have you, in your life, of deciding to say, God, I'm going to trust you. I believe that what you did is 100% enough, that you paid for all of my sin, the stuff I've done, the stuff I'm going to do. You covered it all. Do, do you believe that? Or in our lives, is it sometimes the same thing where we, where we go back to this measuring stick, and we try and see, how are we doing now that we're following Jesus? I know what I was like before I started following Jesus. How am I doing now? Paul says this in Galatians 2, verse, uh, we're just right there at the end, verse 18. Rather, I'm a sinner, he says, if I rebuild the old system of law that I already tore down. For when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. So I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all its requirements so that I might live for God. And then this famous verse, my old self has been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Probably a different version than that, what you just read. But it's the same. Um, it says, you know what? What was the purpose of the law? Why, why did the law exist anyways? It was that measuring stick. It was this thing that God said, hey, I'm going to put this here. So all that it would do is show us that we need a Savior. When you look at it and when you measure yourself by it, like, have you ever told a lie? Yes. You're supposed to be up here at perfection. It notches you down. You know, have you ever looked lustily at a woman? Yes. Have you ever done any of these things? Yes. Have you stolen? Yes. And, and you cheated on your taxes? Yes. And you, you end up way down here. Did you swear? Yes. I'm, and you realize, man, I in my own self cannot live up to this standard. That's the only reason it was there. So what does it do when it shows you that, that you can't live up to it? As any of us, we realize, I, I need to turn to Jesus. I need to look to Jesus alone. And, and, and you realize that, and say, realize that he forgives all of our shortcomings, forgives all of our sins. It's by grace, through faith, that we receive salvation. We can live for him. What can happen so easily and so often in our lives is that, yes, we believe in Jesus, but then we try and figure out, well, how's it going for us? It's like the sin that you have such a difficult time with, and you think, you know, as a Christian, and you're still, you're still sinning, and it just fills you with guilt. You, can't, you feel like, I can't worship God. I can't do that. I'm a terrible person. What's happening? You're looking this way again. If you forget everything we looked at, please remember this part. This is the part that probably matters the most. If you're looking at it again, it, he never wants you to go back and look at those old rules again. He doesn't. He doesn't want you to look at those and try and live your life by those rules. It's not how it was designed. And he's saying that's the ditch that so many people find themselves in because they look at this and they realize, oh, I'm a Christian, but I swore. Man, you know, here I am feeling terrible about the fact that, that I swore and realizing what's happening. You're looking at the law. And the law, it's like an x-ray machine. You know, you go to the dentist, 
or maybe be even better, uh, like my son, when he was uh, a year and a half ago, uh, he was really sick. Lincoln was sick. Many of you know this story. We went there, and they had to have ultrasounds and needles and everything, but there's this, this machine called the MRI that they, they send you in. It's this big tube, and they, they get, get the picture. You got to lay really still. So he, Lincoln goes into the MRI, and what is, the MRI starts showing him what's wrong in his body. It shows that he's got the uh, deposits or whatever on his kidneys. It shows the things that are not working I- inside of him, right? So if, if Lincoln goes and he goes into the MRI and realizes, oh, this is what's wrong with me. It shows me I'm sick. That's what the law was meant to do. Show you that you're sick and show you that you need a doctor. You need, you need healing. You need to be changed. So, but what, what, would, what so often happens is people keep going back to the MRI, so if Lincoln says, oh, yeah, there's something wrong with me, well, I'm, you know, we say, well, put him back in the MRI. So he goes back in there. He comes out. He's still sick. We'll put him back in again. Oh, well, he's still sick. We'll put him back in again. You can keep going back and keep going back and keep going back, and you're still sick. For you women, it's, it's like this. You go in the morning, you wake up, and you realize, you know, I know you didn't all look like you look right now. You went and you looked at a mirror, right? And you went and looked and like, whoa, that night was hard on me, <laughs> you know? And, and, and you look at the mirror, uh, you, you never, oh man, I knew I shouldn't have done this. All right. But, but you look in the mirror and you realize, oh man, I need to do something about this. You know, it's like you're looking at, you realize, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta do something. But what you don't do is you don't take the mirror and start smoothing it all over your face and combing your hair with the mirror, right? Because the mirror is not designed to fix you. The mirror is just designed to show you that you need something else. You need some fixing. Same with the MRI. It, oh, or guys. All right. So, I didn't wake up looking like this either, right? So, but um, the MRI, same deal. It shows you that you're sick and that you turn to Jesus. That's what it was for. But the thing that can so often happen is, A, you either turn back to it and look and say, wow, I still don't measure up. God, I still don't measure up. God, I'm still messing up. You know, I swore, I lied, I cheated, I did all this stuff. And you feel this guilt. And what is it, God? Your back is towards Jesus. He says that we're supposed to be looking to him because the other great side of the ditch is this. You go to the thing, you look at it and be like, sweet. I used to have trouble with swearing, but now I haven't swore. Man, it's been like Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. I haven't sworn in seven days. That's bleeping awesome. You know, it's like, what happens? You right away think, oh, because I haven't sworn for seven days, I'm this much closer to God. And we begin to judge ourselves again based on an old law, an old rule system that was never designed to be that. So as a believer, as a person, and no matter where you find yourself, maybe you find yourself and realize, you know, I feel guilty before God. I've got two scriptures I just want to leave with you. The first one is uh, Isaiah chapter 45, verse 22. He said this in the Old Testament. Uh, He said, look to me. Look to me and be saved. If you find yourself not measuring up, He said, look to me and be saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God. There is no other. I have sworn by myself, the word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return, that to me every knee will bow, every tongue will take an oath, and he shall say this, surely in the Lord I have righteousness. Surely in Jesus I have righteousness. It has nothing to do with what I've done or not done. It is 100% in him. And then as a believer, you know, many of you have experienced that. Many of you have experienced the forgiveness of Christ. It's like, that is awesome and amazing. And then you find yourself now in this battle again. The the key to, to, to this relationship with Christ is to keep looking to him. Saying, you know what? In following Christ, I'm never going back. 
on my good days, I'm not going to check out how good I look in the mirror. I'm not going to check out how far I've come. I'm not going back to the rules and the law. I'm going to keep looking at Jesus. Hebrews 12 says it this way. Therefore, we also, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. Let's lay aside the sin which so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that's set before us, looking unto... Don't leave me hanging here. Looking unto... Looking unto Jesus, the author, the one who started it in you, and the finisher, the one who's going to finish it in you. Keep looking to Jesus. It says that he despised the shame of the cross and, and did it all for you that we could look to him. My, my question for you today is where are you looking? Do you find yourself, you know, looking at, at the rules and at the law and trying to figure that out? Or is it every day saying, I'm looking to you, Jesus? Because it says this in Second Peter 1 verse 3. Well, actually, let me just finish Galatians chapter 2, verse 21. The last verse, it says this, I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. For if keeping the law could make me right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. if, if, If anything there could have done it, I wouldn't have needed Christ. So what do I do? I look at the cross with incredible meaning in my life. When you look at the cross, what is the response in your heart? Does it mean something? Or is it, yeah, you know, it's what I do. It's, yeah, it's kind of, you know, I, I go to church on Sundays. Or does it hold incredible meaning in your life? See, if you understand what it was for and what it did, it should. It really should. Galatians um, 2, the whole story is that. Saying, you know what, stop looking at the law. Look at, at Jesus. He, he showed it in the life of Peter. And Second Peter, <laughs> Peter writes something that, just kind of shows that he, he got it. Taking notes, jot this one down, check it out later. Second Peter verses, uh, 1 ver, um, verse 3. It says this, By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. God's given you everything you need for living a godly ni- life. And it says, We have received all of this by coming to know him. It's not by trying. It's not by doing that stuff. We received everything we need to live godly, to live right, to do what you wanted to. You received that all by getting to know Jesus. My challenge for you this morning is no matter where you find yourself, to look to Jesus, to keep looking to Jesus. That in, in, when you read in your Bible, look to Jesus and it's saying, am I getting there or is it becoming a routine? When you pray, am I looking to Jesus? And you know, it's not all of this, oh, I've got to repent for every bad thing that I've done. I'm looking to Jesus and realize, thank you, God, that you gave your life for me because there's no way I could have done it. It's not making promises to him that you're never going to commit those sins again. He doesn't care about the, that. He's, if you look to him, it says what happens. All that good stuff begins to work itself out in your life. Say, Mark, you've been talking about this for a couple weeks already. Yeah, because I believe so strongly that the foundation of our lives as believers has got to be that we continue to look to Jesus or we'll become like every other religion out there that becomes all self-absorbed with all the things that go around Christianity, around faith, and everything around it without missing the key core thing that he gave his life for, which was so that you could know him. Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning for your sacrifice, for your love for us. God, thank you for your word that just shows us uh, in, in just really good, great detail uh, of the, the sacrifice that you made and the plan that you have for us. Father, I pray that you forgive us for, for turning back to the laws, turning back to the rules, and trying to, to live our life in our own strength. Uh, Lord, I, I know that that happens so easily for some of us, but I thank you for your word that just brings us right back to where we need to be. Jesus, I want to know you.
I want to know you more today than, I, than, than yesterday. God, I want to know you more this afternoon than I know this morning. Father, as people leave this place and search out your word and are just spending time in your word or just spending time worshiping uh, in their cars or just uh, even just talking to you, building a relationship with you, God, I pray that they would continue to grow in their knowledge of you and that out of that would come incredible lives lived for you. I pray your uh, blessing and strength and hope and peace over their homes this week. And Lord, for those who don't know you here, for those who feel that they're stuck in a life that just they've, they've messed it up, it just doesn't, there's something missing. God, I, I just pray that today as they look to you, that you would bring salvation in their life. That anybody can look to him. It doesn't matter where they're, where they're at. And God, I pray that they would just understand and realize that, that, that coming alive on the inside, that thing that's so hard to describe, but they just know that you're real and you love them. God, I pray this morning that that would happen in, in people's lives as well. God, may we be your light to the world around us. May we really share good news with the world uh, around us that is just in such need of it. Uh, thank you for our time together. Thanks for putting this family together and for, uh, for, for blessing us with each other. I pray that we be a blessing to one another as we head out from this place and just spend some time hanging here, out here. Uh, God, thank you again. Uh, and just pray that in our lives you would receive the glory for whatever, whatever we do. I thank you for it, Lord, in your name. Amen.